How many of y'all have heard the story of a uh, of the 84-year-old man that uh, had proposed and was getting married to an 80-year-old lady? Well, they uh, decided that, uh, you know, after they had, uh, you know, they had the date and everything set, they go to to this pharmacy, and they want to speak to the manager, you know, and uh, so the manager came out, and the man began to ask him questions. He's like, sir, do you have ACE bandages here and ibuprofen? He said, yes. He goes, do you have denture cream and walkers? Yes. He goes, do you have, uh, you know, Ben Gay or ultimate, you know, you know rub and, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Scholl's insults? And the pharmacist, he goes, well, yes, we, we do have those. Why do, do you need them? He said, oh, no. He said, my wife and I are getting married and we wanted to have a store to have our wedding gift registry. How many times have you ever planned for something exciting in expectation? There's things that you do that you set up for something exciting that's going to happen, right? You know, today we're talking and, and, you know, after studying this particular, you know, passage and for this message, I I would actually have to say that this is, uh, you know, really becoming my favorite promise, uh, you know, that is given to us. Uh, You know, so you would think that whenever Jesus Christ was was born, that, uh, you know, that God would have suspended all storms of manner and that whenever Jesus walked on this earth, that it would have been a cool 75 degrees morning, noon, and night, that there wouldn't have been any rain or any hailstorms or any windstorms or, or anything like that, right? After all, he created them, right? You know, he is the one that created the, uh, you know, the thought or even created atmosphere. He created storms. He created rain. Uh, you know, and whenever he was here on this earth, he should have this luxurious life and not have to go through any struggles or any problems, right? Uh, you know, the Pope, after all, the Pope has, uh, you know, has this bubble, you know, this bubble, bubble. I was fixing to say the Pope mobile, but it is. He has the Pope mobile that, uh, you know, that surrounds him in glass, right? It's this nice, luxurious golf cart, if you would call it that. It has air conditioner, it has heat, and it has a bulletproof glass that surrounds the Pope. Why wouldn't Jesus, the creator of all things, have this bubble around him whenever he walked here on this earth? Protecting him from all the struggles and from all the difficulties that we face. Remember last week we talked about then we you know talked about Jesus and the fact that whenever he walked here on this earth that he experienced everything that we experienced here on this earth every temptation that we are tempted with Jesus Christ experienced those same things 
Jesus actually had it a little bit more difficult than we did, or we do, because we have the tendency to fall into temptation, but Jesus withstood all temptations and was perfect. No sin whatsoever. And that's why we are able to boldly go and to stand before him, before the throne of God. Because we have a Messiah that knows the problems that we have. Remember last week I made the statement that we could possibly be a point in our life that we come to Christ and that we, you know, we're struggling and we kneel down by our bedside and we begin to pray. And we say, God, it's been a long time. But Jesus is there and he says, I know. I know all about it. I know the stresses that you face that has kept you from me. I know all the times and all the things that you have been through that would have kept you from calling out to my name. This one that we talked about last week that walked here on this earth. He is the one that is standing at the right hand of God the Father. He is standing there and He is interceding for you and I. And whenever we think about intercessory or interceding, what is Jesus interceding for? If Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, what is He actually praying What do you pray whenever you intercede for someone? You pray that God would bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? That's what he's doing for the ones that are lost. He's praying for them to know his father as he knows his father. The ones that's going through the stress of whether or not someone's going to live or going through the stress of whether or not I'm going to have food to eat or I'm going to be able to pay my taxes or I have a place to lay my head. He's praying for those. Larry said that not only is he in the right, at the right hand of God the Father, but he lives within us and the Holy Spirit. So whenever we look at this, I I get this thought process and this understanding that we need to truly understand the process or what happened at the cross for us to truly understand what this means. Because the one that walked on this earth, that knows all the struggles that we know, is living in us, and not only living in us, but He is standing at the right hand of God the Father, praying for us. Scripture tells us that our spirit prays for us whenever we don't even know what to pray for. He is praying to God whenever we don't know what we're supposed to be praying. I believe that the Spirit of God is praying for us even whenever we're praying the wrong things. How many of you have ever been in a marital dispute and you kneel at your knees and you say, God, please help my spouse to see what's right? 
Everybody in here should have said amen. Because it's always the other person that needs to change, not us. The Spirit is within us saying, God, He really doesn't know what He needs, but you do. Help Him in this time. Give Him the grace to be able to see what you need for Him or her to see. See, this is something that we can't really take lightly because in all understanding, whenever we look at the Scripture and the Bible tells us, God's Word tells us that whenever Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave, that He had the power, He defeated Satan. In the process of defeating Satan... What he has done is, is that our adversary, the one that is calling and that is fighting against us and that is tempting us to sin against God, he has already defeated him. Therefore, if my sins have already been defeated, and like the song that Denise sung, what sin? Our sins are already forgiven. All we have to do is profess them. Then we look at the first passage of Scripture. And I don't have this for you. But I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to look. I'm going to take you to verse 1. Because in verse 1 we get this understanding. Or we need to get this understanding. Because in verse 1 it says... So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation to those who belong to Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven as soon as we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Our sins of the past, our sins of the present, and our sins of the future are all forgiven by the one death, by the same, by that one time that Jesus Christ died. They are all forgiven for that one moment and that one time. All we have to do is we have to confess. Paul goes on and he talks about our spiritual life throughout this. And then he comes to verse 34. And in verse 34, part B, we have these words. It says, it is he, that should be a he, not a dash, but he is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So whenever we look at this and we hear that word that there is no condemnation for those who believe in Jesus Christ. What it is is that whenever we believe in Jesus Christ that we are forgiven for all of those sins. But our problem is and Jesus understood this. And Jesus knew this. In John chapter 16 verse 33. 
I have told you all of these things so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. See, the thing is, is that whenever we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, we step into this other realm. We enter into eternity. But we still live here on this earth. We have entered into what scholars and what theologians believe is the already, but not yet, part. We are already forgiven of our sins. We have already stepped over into eternity, but we are not yet there. Because we live in a corrupt world, we live in a corrupt body. Now remember, we've already discussed this, there's not two spirits living within us. There's not our worldly spirit that's living in us, and there's not God's spirit living in us. We are not schizophrenic, okay? We live in one spirit. We live with the spirit of God living in us, but we are in a corrupt world. Remember in the fall? Not only was mankind cursed, but the world was cursed. It says that the world groans, that this earth groans because because it is cursed and it is not in its perfect form. Our bodies groan in this world because we are not in our perfect form. We are created and were created to live a perfect life and have a perfect relationship with God Almighty. But that is no longer. I believe that our security in Jesus Christ kind of hangs on this thought process as far as how much are we in the world and how much are we from the world. If we are too much into the world, then we deny Christ that lives within us. If we are too far from the world, then we can't minister and do the things that God truly has for us to do here on this earth. Because we have separated ourselves from the struggles that everyone else here on this earth faces. If we're honest with ourselves... All of us would kind of look back into our lives and say, you know, whenever I first accepted Christ as my Savior, I thought this was going to be a whole lot easier than what it is. I didn't realize all the struggles that I was going to face. Jesus knew them all. He knew that we would face those struggles. You know, we grapple with this. In in Psalms 73, uh, we find that the psalmist tells us and says, uh, he says, why do the wicked prosper? 
why do the wicked people prosper? And then more importantly, why do the good people struggle? After all, I've accepted you as my Lord and Savior. You're at the right hand of God the Father. You're you're praying for me. And if there's any prayer in heaven that someone would listen to, it would be the prayers of Jesus Christ. Why do I struggle so much? Why is there so much heartache in my life if Jesus is standing at the right hand of God the Father praying for me? A lot of times it's because what Jesus is praying and what we're praying and what we want are two different things. See, if we truly understand what happened at the cross, then we would know that there is absolutely nothing on this earth that can keep us from God. Nothing on this earth. Why is that? Because he who is in me is stronger than he who is in this world. Larry talked about it, testified about it this morning. If he's in me, then there's absolutely nothing in this world. There's no heartache. There's no stress, there's no hunger, there's no persecution. There's nothing that can take me away from Christ. There's nothing that can take me away from my relationship with God. I want to go here, I want to do this. Because if you think what I'm saying is is hooey, are far-fetched. Let's look at what the Church of the Nazarene says. In Article Faith number 9, we believe in justification, regeneration, and adoption. So what is that? We believe that justification is glorious and Jewish, Jewish additional act of God by which He grants full pardon from all guilt. There's no condemnation. All guilt is gone. He is not condemning us in heaven. It's all gone. Whenever we receive Him as our Lord and as our Savior. And complete release from the penalty of sin committed and accepted as righteousness. To all who believe in Jesus Christ and receive Him as Lord and Savior. So we believe that. We believe that regeneration or the new birth that gracious that it is that gracious work of God whereby our moral nature is is retained or of the repented believer is is spiritually quickened. And given a distinctively spirit life capable of faith, 
love, and obedience. We believe that adoption is the gracious act of God which with the justified, by which the justified and the regenerated believer is constant, yeah, as son and son, child of God. We believe, as the church of the Nazarene, that justification, regeneration, and adoption happens simultaneously. These are things that happen whenever I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and I repent of my sins, I am justified fully because Jesus Christ has already paid the price. I am regenerated or I have a new life or a new spirit that is living in me and I am adopted by Jesus Christ or by God and I am heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That all that is given to Jesus Christ is also given to me because who I am. Church of the Nazarene also believes in Christian holiness and entire sanctification. We believe that sanctification is the work of God which transforms believers into, into the likeness of Christ. It is in through this and this likeness of Christ that we're dealing with here with Paul. Paul is telling us and he is talking to us and he is bringing us through this stage. Uh, you know, in verses 29 and 30, Paul gives us five steps into salvation. Five steps that we have in salvation in verses 29 through 30. It says, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. Having called, called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. So we have those five steps that we have right here. The first one that we see is divine knowledge. There has to be a knowledge or pre-knowledge of who God is in Jesus Christ before we can accept him as our Lord and as our Savior. Someone came to you and someone witnessed to you before you accepted Christ as your Savior. Somewhere, somehow, you read and you knew about God. So there is a foreknowledge of this. Church of the Nazarene then begins and we, we deal with what we call 
prevenient grace is that God's hand has been at work in our lives, working with us and through us, even though we didn't know it, so that we would come to the point in time of the third part, which is the call, because absolutely no one can come to God unless the Holy Spirit calls them and draws them unto Jesus Christ. So there has to be a call upon all of our lives. So God is working in our lives before we receive Him, the prevenient grace, and then we have the call of God on our lives. And then once we answer the call of God on our lives, we have the redemption process that Paul talks about. And then Paul takes us from the redemption process into the glorification of God the Father. Because whenever we die, our life is to do what? To bring glory to God the Father. Whenever we enter into heaven, we are entering into heaven glorifying God, not glorifying ourselves. It's not by what I do, but it's by what God does that brings all of this about. There's absolutely none of this that we do on our own. The Holy Spirit leads someone to witness to us, or the Holy Spirit draws us if you're at your dyer's end, and we've heard the testimonies where people were in the hotel room and they were fixing to commit suicide and they opened up the drawer that was next to the bed and there was a Gideon Bible. The Holy Spirit drew them to that scripture and they, they picked up the scripture and the Holy Spirit opened it up to where it revealed the things that they needed in their lives at their moment. There's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. So now we have this understanding. There's no condemnation to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Because even though we sin, no one can come up to Jesus and say, Hey, what about his sin? What about her sin? Oh, wait a minute. They're a child of mine. There is no sin. I have cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. It is cast as far as the east is from the west. Satan can't bring it up to you. You got it? Satan can't bring it up to you. Your neighbors can't bring it up to you. Your old friends that you used to grow, you know, that you grew up with, they can't bring it up and they can't say, man, you remember that party that we went to? And you're trying to tell me that now you're a Christian? Wow. Did, did, Did we just all close down? Am am I talking, uh, you know, I'll use that phrase again, hooey. This is is all truth. This is is scriptural. Uh, You know, we we look at this. Uh, You know, but the problem with it is, okay, is that we are too heavy in the world. You need to be in the world, but not of the world. We're here in this already, but not yet part in our life that we're, we're already in eternity, but we're not yet in, re- in eternity. Because we're here on this earth, but we have too much of our feet on this earth. 
We don't truly understand that whenever Jesus Christ died on the cross, He defeated Satan. If we did, then we wouldn't have to worry about what the world has to offer. See, it's, it's, we, whenever we deal, I, I like this. We do not have the pulse that God has. If we had the pulse of what God had, then there would absolutely be nothing that this world has that would even come close to satisfying what we need. Absolutely, positively, nothing. Entire sanctification. Emmanuel goes in and talks about our original sin. And I dislike the part because, see, they, they took out the phrase eradicate. Back in, 2000, in, in 2013, it had the phrase in there that said that entire sanctification eradicated the original sin. Whenever you use the word eradicate, it means that it is destroyed, completely gone. That there is none of that original sin. There's none of that personal bent that we have in our lives that draws us to satisfy ourselves. The church of the Nazarene believes that we have the opportunity, that we have the ability to reach that point that there is absolutely, positively nothing on this earth that will remove me from God Almighty because I choose to allow His heart to beat within mine and I do not look to this world to satisfy anything that I have. the heartbeat of God it's that pulse it's the understanding that whenever he died on the cross that he provided everything I would ever need everything everything I got so excited I haven't even read the passage of Scripture for you. Let me read this for you. Romans chapter 38. I'm going to begin with verse 31. It says, What then shall we say in response to these things? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? 
It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? Not even death. We truly trust in God. See, Jesus doesn't have to die each time on the cross that we commit a sin. He did it once for all. In these five steps that Paul gives us, let's make no mistake about this. We have the opportunity to say yes or to say no. Our security and salvation is more about God in the process than it is about us. If we trust Jesus Christ and we trust God and who He is, all we have to do is simply say yes and trust in that. God is the sanctifying agent. Not us. Scripture says that we love him because he loved us first. I witness not so that God will love me anymore, but because God loves me so much. I read, I read God's word. Not so that I can get more from God, but because God has given me so much. It's more about God and less about me. But Jesus Christ, in us, the right hand of God the Father, praying for us interceding for us, guiding us, directing us. <laughs> the one that died on the cross, the one that defeated death and Satan, the one that, was a, that is able, the only one that is able to forgive us from all of our sins. I've got to trust in him. As Robbie and Chris comes and begins to play the offertory for us. I don't want to presume on where anyone is. But today's message draws this really clear for us. We're either 100% trusting in God saying yes to everything that he wants us and yes to do whatever he wants for us to do, trusting wholeheartedly in him, 
allowing his pulse to run through us. Or we're standing real heavy in the earth. The Holy Spirit draws. God's grace works in our lives. We are redeemed. We are justified. We are regenerated. We are adopted in our salvation. Throughout this walk, Christ comes to us. And he says, what about this? You can put whatever this is. He says, are you going to trust me with it? We have that opportunity to say yes or to say no. You might be at that part in your life That you have the heartbeat of God. And there's absolutely nothing in this world that will take you away from Christ. There's no temptation whatsoever that this world has to offer that will make you deny who Jesus Christ is. Our walk here is to show everyone else to be that light to this world. Let's stand. With every head bowed and every eye closed. this morning are you saying yes are you too heavy in the world is the Holy Spirit drawing you this morning to a deeper deeper relationship with Christ to a newer understanding of Christ.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, for the word that you have given to us. God, we thank you that for that promise 
how the promise that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, your Son, God is at the right hand and He is interceding for us. He is praying for us even as we speak right now. God, we thank you for that promise. And God, we trust you today. In Jesus' name, amen.